The programming committee asked me a while ago to share my testimony and my story tonight. So I'm here to do that. But I have a couple of disclaimers before I start. First, I'm not a speaker. I'm certainly not a preacher. I'm not even a good storyteller like my husband is. I wish I was. And English is now my first language, so be patient with me. And even though I believe that my stories is actually rather ordinary, I truly believe with all my heart that has been written by an extraordinary God. So what I'm going to share tonight is actually more, goes beyond my testimony. It's actually a recount of God's faithfulness. And I hope you, f you think about that, about God's faithfulness in your life tonight. So as I share, please pray for me. And fix your eyes in the one that can make what things to men impossible possible because of his goodness. I um, want to add that this message is mainly for students. Can I see the students here tonight? Good. So this message is for you. So whoever else is here tonight, you're welcome to listen. Um, but, and I, I'm pretty sure we all be blessed by the grace of God. And another quick disclaimer, you are going to hear me saying all night long, by God's grace, a lot. But I truly believe that. I even believe that all the right decisions we made in our lives, even the choosing or following God's ways, is just grace, if you think about it. So before I start, my best friend shared with me a, um, a text this week, and it's uh, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, and meditate on this verse as you hear my story, and just fix your mind in this thought. It says, Know that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. But our sufficiency is of God. So years ago, I actually read this quote that I want to share with you tonight. Because I think it's very appropriate for before I start sharing my story. It says, our confession of his faithfulness is heaven-chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. We are to acknowledge his grace as made known through the holy men of all, but that which will be most effectual is the testimony of our, our own experience. We are witnesses for God as we revealed in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. Every individual has a life distinct from each other and an experience differently, different essentially from theirs. The precious acknowledgments of his grace, when supported by a Christ-like life, have an irresistible power that works for the salvation of souls. Revelation 12:11 says that we overcome the devil 
by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And Ellen White says that we overcome the devil by three things, by helping others to overcome, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our testimony. And she continues saying, far more than we do, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience. After a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, our joy in the Lord and our efficiency in his service would be greatly increased by recounting his goodness and his wonderful works in behalf of his children. So if you never share your testimony, I hope after tonight you do. My name is Daphne Morena. I'm a simple physician, but I thought I would never be one at least not in this country, and at least not at this time in my life, and I want to share why. But before I do, I want to ask that you bow your heads with me in prayer. Oh, Lord, I know that according to Jeremiah 10, 23, the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. It is you, Lord, who desires to direct each step in our lives. So, Lord, take my story and help each one of us to make the decision tonight to let you guide our steps. So tonight, take my bulky lips and my fractured heart and make them yours. May your name be lifted up and your character just better understood tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so my story begins here. I was born in Argentina in a very, very small town of 120 people. The satellite... Um, you know, picture that you see at the end is actually a very um, advanced population these days, but back then it was only 120 people. There my mother was the, the director or actually the principal of the only rural school, and my father was the waiter of the only restaurant in town. My dad was pushing actually 50 when I was born. I was the surprise of all their parents who, after years of attempting conception, just defaulted to adoption, bringing two grown-up kids into the family. My dad was the third son of Yugoslavian immigrants, and until he met my mom, he was able to speak only broken Spanish, believe it or not, just to show how isolated some of these immigrants were just living in colonies and different parts of the world after World War II. My mother was a school teacher and essentially continued pursuing education until he, she became a, um, actually a principal, a professor of Latin, of Spanish literature, and even the superintendent for the public school system. On the other hand, my dad learned to write and read on his own. 
never had a formal education until he was 61 years old when he graduated from elementary school, believe it or not. And I'm very proud of my dad. Um, my mother is a very strong woman, and it's wonderful to have them here and just expose them, and they have no clue what I'm talking about because they don't understand English. It's wonderful. So, so my mother is a very strong woman, prone to addictive behaviors, very blunt and anxious. She was deep in spiritualism, tobacco, alcohol, and amphetamine abuse when she was invited to a five-day smoking cessation program. It took two years of Bible studies, but when she just got baptized into the Adventist church, she left everything behind and became a very faithful Seventh-day Adventist. On the other hand, my dad, and I'm pretty sure you have met people like this, is gifted with this innate, just like goodness and compassion and meekness. He loves serving others. But his staunch pragmatism never allowed him to become even interest in God or any, anything remotely spiritual. For him, life is very short and simple to complicated to, with impractical Christianity. And as a child, I was never allowed by him to go to church with mother. So what I did was becoming a kind of a Seventh-day Adventist and heart at a very, very tender age. So my mom would read the Sabbath school lesson to me soon after I turned four. And I don't remember my spiritual life much back then, but I remember by age seven just spending Sabbath in my room by myself, hidden from my dad, reading the Bible, and, um, and sharing what I have learned with my friends. Many pastors have ventured to come home and visit me and my mom. But my dad, as meek as he was, he would become enraged. So enraged that it was close to a physical abuse against these poor men. So imagine the whole entire church knew about my dad, who would faithfully drop my mom off at church every Sabbath and would not speak one word to me or my mom until Sunday every single weekend for years. During my last year in high school, a new pastor came into town. He was meeker, milder than my father, and he consistently visited me while my dad was not around, or he would simply disregard my, God, my, mom, my, sorry, my dad's outburst when he was around. This pastor and his wife became my safe haven, my best friends, my mentors, my spiritual parents. I called them mom and dad until this day. And after a few months of really experiencing what a real church family was, I mount all the courage 
that I needed to stand up to my dad. So I took all the courage after much prayer and fasting. All the church were praying and fasting. And I traveled two hours where, to where my dad was working. And I just saw all my courage vanished as soon as I stood in front of him. I was ready for any type of reaction, for screaming, cursing, hitting. But instead, my dad started crying, begging me not to get baptized. So I got into the bus, went back home, and for three months, my dad did not return home, did not speak to me or my mom. And for many of you, that experience might be kind of sound trivial, but for the daughters in the audience, you understand the bond between a father and a daughter. An hour until that day was invisible, just because my mom had chose to pursue academia and career. I had to spend my entire childhood with my dad. So after three months, he returned, no explanation, simply saying that I was his daughter, that he loved me, and that he would never, ever accept me getting baptized into this sect but that he was my father regardless. Since that day, I have not stopped one single day for 25 years praying for my dad. Sorry, you're going to have to pray for me. He has not given his heart to God. He has not getting baptized. But he studied the Bible with us every night, and he has allowed me to um, give him Bible studies. So just pray for him. So a few months after my baptism, I moved to River Plate University, Adventist University in Argentina, with my pastor and his family. He was pursuing a doctorate degree, and I was ready to pursue my medical degree. There, my spiritual life blossomed into what became the most life-changing years in my life. However, I soon received a letter informing me that I would not be able to actually be part of the first medical school class ever at that university since the government had not yet accredited the school for that program. So receiving that letter was extremely hard. I was 17 years old, and this was my first disappointment as a Christian. But my father was happy that, you know, Things haven't worked out. And he thought I would give up this crazy idea of staying far away at this small school. However, by the grace of God only, I value Christian education more than a degree. So after March prayer, I decided I would apply to nursing school instead and got accepted. 
I know now that God led me to a career in nursing to deepen my love for the sick and dying. And honestly, I wouldn't have done it any other day, any other way. Ellen White says, and I think this was this pretty much describes my experience. If he sees it best not to grant our desires, he will counterbalance the refusal by giving us tokens of his love and entrusting to us an other service. In his loving care and interest for us, often he would under, he who understands us better than we understand ourselves refuses to permit us selfishly to seek the gratification of our own ambition. He does not permit us to pass by the homely but sacred duties that lie next to us. Often these duties afford the very training essential to prepare us for the higher work. Often our plans fail that God's plan for us may succeed. In nursing school, not in medical school, unfortunately, I learned the importance of spiritual care for patients. There I studied in depth as part of our curriculum. Uh, books like The Ministry of Healing, Councils on Diet and Foods, and what the Bible truly teaches about healing and about service. The School of Nursing and Theology have a rich activity on Sabbath afternoon, so that taught me how to give Bible studies, health talks, and how to minister to children. So after my graduation uh, from nursing school, I stayed in the Adventist Hospital to work as a nurse on the med search unit. But my heart was in critical care, so what I would do, I would finish my shift, in my usual unit, I will go up to the ICU and essentially observe and learn. So not long after that, I was asked to recover patients from cardiothoracic surgeries. And in just a few months, I became the charge nurse for the ICU. During that time, I was extremely impressed with the example of one of the intensivists in the unit. He had become a Seventh-day Adventist while he was at school in a um, non-Adventist um, campus. And this particular physician would just visit all the patients that would be discharged from the ICU in their homes Sabbath afternoons and give them Bible studies. With HIPAA, that wouldn't work here, but in Argentina, that was perfectly fine. Your doctor may show up at your home <laughs> on Sabbath afternoons. And that had such an impact on me that at that time I decided I have to become a physician. I had accompanied him many times during these visits, and I'm sorry for the quality of this picture, but this picture was actually taken by him during some of these um, visits. We would go and just help people dressing their wounds and then give them Bible studies. And the joy that we experienced doing that, it was indescribable. So now in the middle of my nursing school, I met him. There is always a him or a her, right, in every testimony. I met 
um, the one who I thought it would be the man with whom I would share the rest of my life. He was a seminary student. He was humble, gentle, loved the Lord and people. We dated for two years. We decided to get married. But after returning from a summit of cold porting only four months before our wedding, he decided to end our relationship. <laughs> oh my goodness. And only one week later, uh, financial strains in the hospital where I was working in the Adventist hospital trans translated into a massive laid off and I in the span of two weeks I was jobless and husbandless if that's a word um, I struggled with depression for months and I was only 20 years old and my precious Lord had taught me small lessons of trust throughout uh, my journey. So somehow I implemented all that experiential teaching that he had granted me, uh, bought a ticket to Europe with all the money I have saved for my wedding and moved to Sagunto, Spain to become a student missionary for a year. For several weeks before my trip to Spain, I had been pondering about Isaiah 61, about this idea of the year acceptable to the Lord. I wanted that specific year to be like a year of jubilee, you know? Like when pretty much everything returns to its, its original um, owner. I wanted my life to return to God completely that year. I didn't want any selfish plans or any personal plans, no schooling, no relationships, nothing. I wanted that year to be completely his. And I want to tell you, if you are struggling with depression, I don't find any other effectual way to be healed than service. There is no other way. And by doing this, my healing was so sweet and so complete that my initial year became two. So it was in Europe during my second year as a student missionary, I was actually the associate woman dean over there in the campus and the campus nurse in the Adventist College. It was during that time that my story really, really, really began. So I'm sorry about this long introduction. <laughs> uh, I met the, actually the family of one of the Adventist College abroad students. Um, I became so close to this ACA student, uh, student's parents that they invited me to come to Texas when my uh, mission appointment was over. So my plan was to come to Houston, spend the summer, and then go to Montemorelos, Mexico, and just finish my um, training, or actually my master's in nursing after that summer. 
However, because of different circumstances, and I don't have all the time to go through those, but I think God orchestrated all this. I found myself back in Argentina, and the hospital, the Adventist hospital, was happy to take me back. And for 10 years, I kept in contact with this family because I was immensely helped you know, grateful for the way they had opened their hearts and their homes during that summer. And then the miracle happened. So if you're sleepy or sleeping, wake up. At one point, God impressed on them the memory that my ultimate desire had been to pursue a degree in medicine. Kind of, like, kind of like when the cupbearer remembered Joseph after a couple of years. Well, this took 10. But during that time, this apparent time of forgetfulness, God has worked on me powerfully and very doing the usual work every day, growing me into an amazing, um, an amazing way. So after 10 years, I met Bobby and Jerry McIntosh in Europe. They offered me to pay for me to come to the US, learn English, as you understand, and pursue a dream of becoming a physician. I never asked for it. I actually didn't think that they would remember. I mentioned it to them once. So in May of 2002, I landed in Ontario, California, knowing exactly 10 words in English. Soon after my arrival, I started my ESL classes at La Sierra University, all paid, praise the Lord. One of the students in the university, Paul Yu, actually approached me very soon and invited me to go to this conference in Palm Springs Ranch that he said he would pay for. And I was like, wow, people here are very generous. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I could barely understand English back then. You have to understand, we perceive the world that surrounds us through our senses, right? That makes sense of all that input through our intellect. But well, we put everything together and communicate what we experience through our language. So when you don't have a language, there is a completely disconnect and you find yourself completely isolated. And you will never understand it until you don't experience it. But that you know, experience really changed people and changed me. So you can joke or philosophize, express deep, deep thoughts, get angry effectively, or express exuberant joy. You can't. It is difficult to memorize scripture. You understand only in part. You don't get local expressions or idioms or slangs or condensations, sorry, condescensions or euphemisms or puns, but praise God that he's not limited by language or by linguistic comprehension. So in 2002, a few months after arriving in California, Paul Yu paid for me to go to the first GYC. 
I had no idea what to expect. However, in the darkness of my almost non-existent English understanding or comprehension or whatever you want to call it, the Holy Spirit not only gave me the gift of interpretation, of understanding, but also, and most importantly, he got a grip of my heart as never before. So I had to backtrack a little bit. A few weeks before my very first GYC and this mountain, top mountain experience, I have met someone, another he, in the mountains, um, during a hike on Sabbath afternoon, we had a friend in common that is here tonight, and God has used this in a powerful way in my life. But honestly, I didn't think much about him until this our second encounter. And my second impression, however, was disturbing. <laughs> honestly, what I thought was, who does this type A boisterous and obnoxious dude believe he is? <laughs> However, on Sabbath afternoon, we got stuck together, um, just going to City of Hope to donate blood, and I saw in him something that it was precious. And if you know Carlos, you know that he has a character full of no pretense. He genuinely loved God and loved fellow men, and that love win my heart in no time. So almost three years later, we were married. And I had to put this picture of Carlos, because to me, that, that's him. <laughs> yeah. So we were married in May 22, 2005. I was still at La Sierra finishing my pre-requirements for medical school when we got married. I would study very late into the night, the books open, the Bible on one side, the dictionary on the other. And what took a native English speaker to read and understand in a few hours, it would take me all day and half of the night. But I knew God was the creator of science, and I wanted to be taught by him. And I remember having some sticky notes on my desk with some of, of uh, powerful quotes that took me through those times. And I want to share those for the students, only two. Precious are the opportunities offered you during the time you spend in school. Make your student life as perfect as possible. You will pass over this way but once. And it rests with you yourself whether your work shall be a success or a failure. As you succeed in gaining a knowledge of the Bible, you are storing up treasures to impart. God requires the training of mental faculties. This one says, if placed under the control of, the, of his spirit, the more thoroughly the intellect is cultivated, the more effectively it can be used in the service of God. The uneducated men 
who is consecrated to God and who longs to bless others can be and is used by the Lord in his service. Amen. But those who with the same spirit of consecration, and that's the key, have had the benefit of a thorough education, can do a much more extensive work for Christ. They stand to vantage ground. We should not let slip even one opportunity of qualifying ourselves intellectually to work for God. Let the youth who need an education set to work with determination to obtain it. Do not wait for an opening. Make one for yourselves. Be determined to become as useful and efficient as God calls you to be. Be thorough and faithful in whatever you undertake and procure every advantage within your reach for strengthening the intellect. Those who hunger for knowledge that they may bless their fellow men will themselves receive blessing from God. So God, allow me to finish all my prerequisites plus a bunch of other high division classes and courses for medical school, having three jobs in two years with a GPA of 3.9. I remember struggling to understand exam questions, to re but somehow I knew the material. I was able to make connections, to recall diagrams, and to pick up the right answer. All this was miraculous on its own. During my first summer of school, someone actually uh, convinced me that taking a year long of organic chemistry in eight weeks was a good idea. <laughs> so later I found out that it, the class dropout is usually hits 50%. So you're forced to assimilate close to four chapters a day when usually you take one chapter every week or so. So I can't tell you that I remember much of the experience. I can't remember much of organic chemistry either. But I remember God making, waking me up every morning, giving me just what I needed. And I know you students have felt this. Mornings when you wake up and you said, oh my goodness, I cannot keep going. And God gave you just what you need to continue. So I want to just share with you some verses. May you be strengthened by all power according to his glorious might. Believe in the might of all, the all-powerful God for all endurance and patience with joy. We can certainly do all things through Christ who strengthens us. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So students, you are not the source of success. And if you understand that, you will be fine. Soon after my prerequisites were completed, I embarked into the venture to study for the wonderful MCAT. To God be the glory for passing all my steps, certifications, all three national boards on my first attempt by the MCAT. Oh my goodness. Was the most difficult test of all. I took the MCAT not once, twice, but three times. 
And each time, the score was exactly the same. No, one more point, no, one less point. I remember praying and asking God, where are you leading me? Honestly, why would he open doors for me to come to the States and allow me to excel in my condensed pre-college or medical college or whatever, pre-med college experience, only to drown on the shores of a mediocre MCAT score? I continued praying. I took a year off during our first year of marriage. I took my NCLEX and became a nurse in the emergency department at Loma Linda, and I did cancer research during that year. And finally, I just applied to medical school and waited. And I unexpectedly got an interview. And I, it was nerve-wracking just to go and talk to someone about myself, especially when you can't talk the language very well. So I'm sorry, but I detest this culture that has so permeated in the uh, medical uh, community, this culture of self-exaltation and performance that we are so accustomed to. So with this attitude, imagine how well it went. I completely choked my first interview, but thank God for second chances. During my second interview, I went to the School of Public Health and interviewed with Dr. Lewis. He had um, actually lived in Africa for many, many years. And, you know, all the African decorations in the office were very inviting. I came in, he was cordial, he was super nice. It was easy to talk to him. We we laughed, we cried, we prayed, and at the end, he told me, Daphne, I have a hunch. I have a hunch that I will be your teacher very, very soon. And I smiled and left his office, and I frantically ran and looked up the meaning for hunch, because I have no idea. <laughs> And I just wanted to know if my laugh at the end had been appropriate or not. I had no idea. So thank God it was. So the months went by, and I finally got a letter in the mail saying, we're happy to inform you. And there I was, a medical student by the grace of God. So how many of the seasoned physicians or dentists or optometrists here in the audience would love to go back to the student days? Can I see your hands? Come on, come on. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, okay, one. <laughs> well, if you would, it's perhaps because you have forgotten some of the experiences that students go through. And I just want to refresh your mind a little bit. I want to make a parenthesis in my story, and actually with so many students here with us tonight, I want to address the elephant in the room. According to the Journal of American Medical Association, almost 30% of medical students suffer from depression. 
One in ten students, medical students, report experiencing suicidal thoughts. That means that medical students are five times more susceptible to depression than the general population, if you think about it. Academic competition might explain these findings. Thousands of applicants compete for very few spots around the nation. In 2015, the average medical school accepted only 6% of their applicants, and some elite schools, like Mayo, only accepted 1.8% of all those that applied. And under these circumstances, as you might believe, this is the perfect breathing ground for competition and feelings of inadequacy. Pre-professional students might learn, or must learn, an startling amount of material in a short time. Like one of my residents told me, it's like drinking water from a fire hose. So students grapple with high volume workloads while, work, while, sorry, while studying for multiple rounds of national licenses, um, exams, and preparing applications for residency. And then you would believe that once they go into the clinical part, that everything is beautiful. But many of them face for first time sick and dying patients. And instead of receiving support, in these situations, these students often suffer humiliation from their senior clinicians. This hierarchy engenders a culture of bullying toward medical trainees. Believe it or not, and I was shocked with these numbers, and I know this doesn't happen in Loma Linda, but 80% of all medical students report mistreatments from supervisors during training. So money also weighs heavily in the minds of students. And I'm not going to share how much is the average indebtedness these days, but it's kind of insurmountable. So how many of you would like to go back to the wonderful years of medical school, or dental school, or whatever it is? So somehow we need to help the students to navigate through these circumstances. And I have a deep burden for that. And in an attempt to mitigate some of um, this situation, a lot of medical and dental schools have embraced a pass-failing grading system. They have all this team-based um, learning it's an emerging trend just to avoid making students isolate, but just, you know, bring or encourage collaboration and cohesiveness and so forth. So schools have introduced a variety of wellness programs, including counseling, group fitness activities, outdoor retreats, healthy eating seminars, Bible studies. We have one in our house every Sunday evening. You're welcome to come. But few, very few, are talking about what students need the most. And to me, they need a mission, they need a purpose, and they need a lot of hope. And I don't find any of those things outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for you students, if you are overwhelmed tonight, 
Please go read, memorize 1 Peter 1, 18 and 20. You know that a price was paid to redeem you from following the empty ways handed on to you by your ancestors. It was no pay with things that perish, like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the anointed, who was like a perfect and unblemished sacrificial lamb. God determined to send him before the world began, but he, he came into the world in these last days for your sake. So, closing the parentheses, how was my medical school experience? I think like pretty much everyone else's, overwhelming, exciting, and exhausting. I was newly wed early in my medical school training, so I was feeling constantly guilty for not having time to spend with my husband. But he was a surgical resident, so pretty much the guilt was reciprocal. Uh, I think the way we survived those days, it was simple. So we were not there to leave the house until we were sure we had taken Jesus all in. And that took very early mornings and late nights. But by God's grace, I never failed a test in medical school. And that is grace, and that is a miracle. By the grace of God, I graduated from medical school 17 years after my first letter of rejection from a medical school in Argentina. So I believe in that verse with all my heart, that God has a perfect time for everything. And he makes everything on his time. So students, don't get stressed when things don't happen according to plan or at your own time. Patiently wait on the Lord. It is always better to be whatever God wants us to be in each season of our lives, believe me. So do not rush things. Do not capriciously force circumstances. Trust in your Father. He knows your heart, your abilities, the lack thereof. He created you. He fashioned you. He gave you opportunities in the past that will be instrumental for your future. So let God lead and trust in his work and in his timing. I'm going to skip a little bit. So during my medical school, I became very involved. I'm going to go back. Um, very involved in church activities, and that was the only way I kept myself sane. So students, if you feel like you're losing your mind, just get busy in God's business. Believe me, that is healing. So I was part of restoration, of the restoration team and student-led evangelistic series on campus and part of the executive committee of Advent Hope, also student-led Sabbath school. And those two ministries kept me focused, engaged, driven, and consistent in my spiritual walk. During those years, I started coming to Amen as well. Amen for Amen. And Amen has helped me in two different ways. Have provided mentorship 
and inspiration. And those are two things that are essential during training. So students look for mentors in the safety of this conference. God brought you here this weekend for a purpose, so find it, okay? Network with people. Everyone is super nice here. Anyway, at the end of my third year, I couldn't decide what to do because I loved it all. So I applied through three different specialties. Don't you ever do that. And I wanted to stay and uh, pursued Met Pete at Loma Linda, but God gave me my second choice and I ended up at Kettering Medical Center in Ohio. So three years were the hottest for us in our marriage. We moved away from our lovely church family. Carlos couldn't find work and only men can understand what that does to a man. And, um, and people were interest, interesting. Um, and above all, there was this flaky, frozen nastiness that was covering everything from November to March or April. It's hard when you come from sunny California. And however, as soon as you got into that building that you see over there, that was paradise, honestly. I got an excellent training. My teachers were genuinely interested in my learning and my growth. And those were years of a lot of growing and excellent training. So it came to the end of my training and probably Dr. Schwartz remember, I didn't know what to do. I wanted to uh, pursue a fellowship in pulmonary and critical care, but I knew that that training is super intense and that life doesn't get better once the training is over. And I was scared of that. And I was also scared because um, it's a male-dominated field very intense men dominate the field, I should say. So I can't possibly go into all the details, but I, after much prayer, I finished my training and ended up at Loma Linda University for pulmonary and critical care medicine. Going back to Loma Linda was a blessing, but fellowship was one of the most challenging experiences in my life and truly, truly changed me. Carlos call it the skin thickening process, something that I needed to experience. Fellowship taught me how to take criticism well and not be easily insulted. I think all of us, sooner or later, We'll need to learn to trust in God absolutely and completely and not just depend on the expectation of others. So, fellowship is all about expectations. People have a lot of expectations about you and you meet more demands as you become an expert in your field. So you need to teach residents, you need to prepare lectures, meet research deadlines, become proficient in uh, procedures, 
have very difficult talks with families, be there before 6 a.m., leave whenever the work is done in the ICU, which is never, and start all over again next day for three years. So I truly wish I had time to describe my experience in fellowship, where God taught me about pain and how to minister to people in grief. I had my original presentation has three pages about stories upon stories, but I don't have time to go through all that, possibly in another presentation. But by God grace alone, I completed my fellowship. I was able to pass my three medical boards, and I'm currently working. Oh, you, you see some of the pictures from fellowship. It's funny because I'm always smiling. You will believe that it was the best time of my life. Um, and I'm currently uh, one, I mean, I'm involved with the faculty members at Loma Linda University. And even though the life of a junior attending is full of challenges, I rest in the assurance that God equips those who he calls. So I want to take five minutes before I finish and briefly, briefly reflect on that, on the meaning of God's calling as we come to an end. God, if you think about it, Jesus dealt with pain, with suffering, and with death every single day while he was on this earth. And honestly, I don't see any other way we can answer his calling other than following his footsteps, if you ask me. So when I read this, when we love the world as he has loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. We have fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Honestly, it's the love of Christ that molds us to service. So if you don't spend time pondering about that love, believe me, you will never be ready for service. It will perfect your call and transform your service. And it will help you to learn from Jesus. And let me tell you about this Jesus. He himself said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And this is the example that he gave us. Christ gave no stinted service. He did not measure his work by hours. His time, his heart, his soul, and strength were given to labor for the benefit of humanity. Through weary days he toiled, and through long nights he bent in prayer for grace and endurance that he might do a greater work. So when I think about myself and this example, I actually don't see in myself anything that it can possibly attain that example. So I came to the realization that the same source that empowered Christ to do what he did has to mutate me. And that source is called the Holy Spirit. So I truly 
and deeply believe that until we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, we are not going to be able to touch this world in the way that we are called to touch it. It doesn't matter how many rosts I achieve after CPR or how many smokers give up nicotine because of my counseling or how many uh, cancers are completely cured and resected or how many people that are dying in the ICU make it alive out of those doors. If they leave the hospital as they do, just continuing life as usual, I have failed. I have not the power of God that he is willing to give us. A.W. Tozer put it this way, if the Holy Ghost was taken away from our church today, 95% of what we do will continue and no one would notice the difference. If the Holy Ghost had withdrawn from the early church, the 95% of what they were doing have stopped and everyone would have noticed the difference. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then been evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So ask, ask, and abide in Jesus. You know, I have met a lot of physicians that I have lost the joy of serving, the joy of practicing medicine. And God forbids any of us go through that experience, but Jesus himself gives us the formula, abide in God, sorry, abide in God that your joy may be full. Ellen White says the reason why it is there is so little of the Spirit of God manifested is that we learn to do it without it. And if you think about it, about your practice and my practice, we have learned to do it without the Holy Spirit for way too long. So we need to unlearn things because the Bible calls that a form of godliness. But we don't have the spirit of it. So if you want to become a true physician after the model of Jesus Christ, the influence of the Holy Spirit is the best medicine. So my appeal to you tonight is simple. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Study the conditions to receive it. Abide in Jesus Christ and follow his example. Because honestly, I don't see any other way we can answer to a call to service. So let's pray. Dear Father, we know that as a tender father, you love to give good gifts to your children. We also know that the best, the best gift we need is the one that we ignore the most. So, Lord, please teach us how to prepare ourselves to receive the transforming influence of the Holy Spirit. We have done it all on our own for way too long, 
and we need to be changed. So Father, it's time for rain, refresh us. And I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.